the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Don't have time to go on SoCal Live today? Leave Scott a voicemail at 213-537-3812. That's 213-537-3812. Welcome back, everybody, to Southern California Live. I'm Scott Froh, your host. It is Open Line Friday. Anything that you'd like to talk about, you can call up and change the conversation, 888-528-2557. If you've got a Bible question, you have a question about anything going on in the news, something on your mind, give us a call. If you have a question or comment, 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557 is the number, 888-528-2557. You can also send an email to SoCalLive at KKLA.com, so many ways to connect here right now. I hope that you've got a good weekend planned for you. Let me ask you something. Is Jesus coming back soon? And if you if you think so or you don't think so or whatever you think, what is it that we need to be doing most of all before that happens? And can I ask you this question? Is there, in your opinion, some is Jesus's return? And so many people talk about this right now because I think because the world's crazy, okay? The world is often crazy. And for 2,000 years, believers have thought Jesus's return is coming around the corner, right? It's going to be here. What is it that you think Christians ought to be doing right now, thinking about the imminency of Jesus's return? What we know is Jesus says he's coming soon. Now, soon is a a relative term when you're uh, talking about 2,000 years and how the Lord does things. Um, I think this question is so... Um, you know, this is coming up in such a huge way right now because there seems like there's such a loss of direction, and it is a crazy time. We're living in very, very odd times. And we also live in a time where when you think about what it is that is necessary to happen biblically for the return of Christ, uh, a lot of those seems, things seem like they can happen. The Bible describes a, a time where, for example, the economy seems to be controlled maybe even by one person, an antichrist person, okay, or a one world government or however that should be, um, however that's described. That's always been there and always been understood. But, you know, in the, in the past, it's been very difficult to really, from a practical standpoint, explain how that would work. But today, as we are looking at digital currencies, we're looking at social credit, excuse me, so many different things going on digitally, it's not hard at all to imagine an economy that could be controlled even by by one person or a group of people who represent that person, where a person, anyone on earth could have their bank accounts closed down because of the way they voted or because of an opinion that they have or because they won't comply with a certain you know, ruling from uh, a government. And, you know, to do that on a global sense has also been something that would be hard to understand. We've seen that in smaller areas. We've seen that in different countries. Um, All of these things are, are super interesting to talk about. 
But on this note, what is it that you think that the Christian ought to be doing in light of the imminent return of Christ? 888-528-2557. I'm asking for a specific reason. And I'm asking because there's some Christians out there, including some who are in our politics, who seem to believe that what we need to do to usher in the coming of Christ, they seem to believe, and I, I don't believe this exactly, uh, I don't believe this thing I'm going to tell you at all, but uh, I, I don't believe that we have a lot of control over it, meaning that Jesus is going to come back when he comes back. I, I don't know exactly how it works, obviously. Jesus said he doesn't know the time or the hour, um, but I don't think God is looking down at our world and confused at the historical events and how things are playing out. Does that make sense? I don't think he's going, well, Jesus, I was going to send you back today, but uh, this happened and now I'm not so sure. I guess you should come back a later time. There are some people out there who believe that Christians are going to uh, sort of take over the world politically and militarily, and once that happens, it will usher in the return of Christ. Uh, I don't believe that. I don't think there's any reading of Scripture at all that suggests that things in the end times are actually going to be good for Christians. Uh, it doesn't seem like Christians are uh, are taken over or in control when you read the Bible, uh, when you read about what Jesus had to say. What do you think about this? It is Open Line Friday. We'll change the subject just for you, or we'll come back to the subject that we're on. Uh, I'm asking because I think we need to get this right, and I think that one of the things that we need to look at is how does Jesus view it in the whole Scriptures? Um, what is it that our, should be our primary concern? 888-528-2557 is the number, 888-528-2557. Martha Northridge, welcome to Southern California Live. Hi. Hi, Scott. Hi, Martha. Uh, yes, you, you asked uh, if we had any questions about uh, Bible. I have a question about 1 Corinthians fourteen thirty four and 35, where it says that the women should be quiet in church meetings. And then they're not to take part in the discussion, for they're subordinate to men, as the scriptures also declare. Now, how does that relate to how women are now? Because women are a big part of the church now. I mean, what did this? What did what did Paul mean when he wrote this? You know, uh, no one's ever wondered about that uh, question right there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I kind of did, but I never thought about it. But my niece, she called me, and she had just read it, and she asked me about it. And I said, well, gee, I, I don't know how to explain it. I said, I'll try to find an answer for you, though. <laughs> yeah. Well, let me tell you something. I think one of the ways to look at it here, okay, is, and this is, you know, there there are people who are listening who are going to have different opinions on that, okay, on, uh -huh. on what it means. Okay, some people would say, yep, uh, as far as the church is concerned, uh, men need to be the ones uh, running it, and uh, men need to be the ones teaching the adults anyway. And uh, that is a big part of what uh, this is about, that women, it says women should remain silent in the churches. They're not allowed to speak. Women must be in submission, as the law says. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home, for it's disgraceful to a woman to speak in the church. Okay, highly controversial passage. Yeah. All right, we're not going to deal, you know, to you know, whatever I say about it, people are going to have different opinions. Sure, so absolutely. So here's something that I want people to, to think about. Number one, the Bible, we believe, I believe, that the Bible and what it means, what it was meant to mean, is ontologically true, meaning that when Paul wrote that, he was inspired by the Holy Spirit, and whatever Paul meant is true. Okay? 
Uh, okay. and, if, and if Paul meant that the guys need to be running the, the, the church and speaking and teaching and playing that role, then that's what it means. And we have to wrestle with that. Um, if he was, other people would say, well, Paul is talking to a Corinthian church that has a lot of problems, and maybe he was giving that instruction just for that church. And they will talk about how Paul said that in Galatians that there's, uh, you know, in the, in the, uh, in the church, there is neither Jew nor Gentile. Uh, there is neither male nor female that we have that kind of equality. Okay. Right. So right. the first thing I would say to you is make sure that we're submitting to the Word of God and to go in and, and study it and really study it, not from trying to get to a certain point, but really see what it has to say. Right. Uh, yeah. and, and one thing where I would encourage people right now with that verse is whatever you think it means, men need to do a lot more in church than they're doing now. Absolutely. Uh, I think... Yeah, most of it is run by women now. Yes, and and some women are, you know, they're doing a fine job as far as a lot of different things, but the men, whatever you think, men need to step up, and men need to be studying the Word of God, able to teach. They need to take the church and... And, you know, the role of men is to lower themselves to lift everyone else up, right? We are the ones who are to be like Christ. Right. So, you know, I think where this conversation ends up going to is sort of a, a conversation about modern, you know, uh, equality and rights and other things, rather than what is the best thing for the gospel. So what I would encourage you to do is study it, and where I'm going to kind of leave it for everybody, because I think this is very practical, is that whatever you— think men need to do a lot more uh, men yeah. need to be leading they need to be serving and they need to be laying their lives down for everybody in the church and you know what i've discovered is that the more men who do that the less women feel like they have to do that and exactly. there's a yeah. ton of things that women have to do because men are terrible at it you know there's there's a <laughs> there's a reason i think that the uh, ladies found jesus at the tomb first there's a bunch of reasons part of it is they went there because they thought the men did a terrible job, probably, in wrapping up Jesus. <laughs> I, think they, I think they thought those guys didn't know what they were doing, and we better go take yeah. care of that. That's where I would well, start. They were, or they were going to uh, go take spices to, you know, to cover him with. That's because, right. You know, they didn't embalm him, so yeah. you know, because they thought, well, the men didn't do that. Well, you know, that really, you know, it's kind of like a, a little, little, uh, pick for a lot of women because, you know, because so many women, because of this movement nowadays, you know, for equality, women take that verse and they just, you know, oh, no, well, they didn't know what they were talking about. You know, how how could he say that, that women yeah. should be silent, you know? Well, and thank you for your call, Martha, and I hope that at least points you, <laughs> in, a, you. in a direction. And the, the thing yeah. is, is that we, I think that, that in things like that, we can argue about it all day. And at the end of the day, nobody we know will be closer to Jesus because of our argument. We need to submit ourselves to the scriptures. We need to do what's best for the gospel, whatever that is in any context. And and getting to our, our question that I posed at the beginning here, what should we be doing as uh, the return of Christ is coming soon? Um, we need to be about the gospel and not the, uh, you know, the, the apostles write us about not having the petty arguments and, and the in the controversies about so many things that ultimately distract us from the work. 888 528 
open line Friday. You can call about anything. Uh, what should Christians do at the moment as Jesus's return is imminent? Lori in Orange County, welcome to Southern California Live. Hi, thank you so much for taking my call. Um, so <clears throat> I loved your answer that you just gave. Thank you so much for saying that. Um, that I, it, I totally agree that men need to step up to the plate here. And the verse that's and I can't remember which book it is, but where it says uh, women submit to your husbands and husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. I just wish that that would be reversed so that the more importance is played on the men love your wife as, because you are the head of the church or your family as Christ mm. is to the church. That's huge. Yeah, well, That's a huge it's huge. And, you know, it, it's a translation issue. There's, there's The thing is, is that the word for love is not warm and fuzzy. The word for love is... Uh, in that passage is agape. You lay Hard. down your life yeah. for your wife, yeah. right? That is the that is the thing that you know. Unfortunately, I think in this issue is it turns into the men are the masters of the universe and the wives have to submit and obey. Uh, the interesting thing about that passage is, is the kind of love the men have is to lay down their life and lift the women up. And so, you know, submission yeah. is a lot less of a controversial word. When you're talking about a guy who's hung himself on a cross for you, that's right. Uh, so Bingo. There's, there's a role um, there. All right. Bet, what was your your thought would, about? Uh, oh, thank you for letting me say that. I did want to let you know that um, what to be doing right now. Uh, personally, I originally, when uh, 2020, I was out there sort of beating the bush politically um, and getting frustrated and tired and all of that. And then I just realized, you know what? And I felt like I was beating a against the goads, God's goads. And I thought, this isn't what I'm supposed to be doing. I need to be out there sharing the gospel. I need to be doing the great commandment and uh, our commission and um, helping people at such a trying time where suffering and people need help with suffering. All of us do. And so my goal now is to just share the gospel and be there for people and just keep myself focused and other help other people be focused and steady on Christ, because the victory is already won. We really don't have anything to fear. We're in good hands. But it's a struggle. It's hard to get through, but God is with us. So that's the message I want to remind myself every day of and help others to find comfort in that, too. All right. Thank you, Lori. Thank you for your call. 888-528-2557. What ought we be doing now as we approach the end times? Whenever they are, right? They're coming one way or the other, 888-528-2557. Peter in Los Angeles, welcome to Southern California Live. Yeah, uh, I am I wanted briefly to discuss about what's going on with the patent office in 2011. Inventors have been getting ripped off, not your normal scam. What? Wait a minute, what? They got their patents approved. What's happening? They got their patents approved. They got their patents approved, the inventors, and then they got invalidated. Give me, a, give me an example. Uh, give me an example of that. Well, the uh, bunch of balloons, fellows that made the balloons that you blow up a hundred water balloons uh, uh-huh. in under a minute and self field. Nothing else was like that done, and that's one of hundreds. And uh, they he uh, got it approved, and then he raised the money, crowdfunding, and before it got to market, it was already in Walmart. All right. Well, what do we do about that? So you think that uh, there's a you think through? that there's some kind of scandal going on with uh, taking away people's uh, 
you know, patents and maybe big corporations uh, taking over. Right. Big corporations, right. if they want to just steal your money, because that one's a big money maker. All right, Peter. Peter, Peter, thank you for your call on that. You know, there's there's a lot of stuff going on like that, I suppose. I don't know if that's true or not, whatever happened there. I know those balloons are awesome because you you plug it into your – you ever do water hot, you know, water balloons with your kids? It's horrible filling those stupid things up. But this thing is you, you attach it to your sink, your faucet, and it'll fill up a bunch of balloons, this little plastic thing that has all these balloons already attached, and suddenly you have all of your balloons done. Um, you know, at the end of the day, if we're getting ripped off, if we're getting robbed and things like that, Jesus is going to take care of that. You know, you might not see justice in your life if you've been, if you have been taken advantage of, or you have been unfairly treated. Uh, you may not see it in this lifetime. Hopefully you will, but you will see it with Christ one day. And, you know, our focus ultimately is to make sure that people have the gospel, we want to make sure that people know who Jesus Christ is. 888-528-2557. Eric and Brea, welcome to Southern California Live. Hi, Scott. How are you? I'm good, Eric. How are you? Great. I guess this is uh, my one minute of expository preaching, I suppose. <laughs> uh, you know, I think that Jesus is the best person really to look forward to uh getting the information of what we need to be doing in the end times. And I think he said in Matthew twenty four thirty six that no man knows the day or hour, nor the angels, nor the Son of Man, only the Father. So he kind of, like, put the brakes on us really trying to spend so much time figuring out when he's going to come back. But he spent the next paragraph explaining to us what we should be doing is worrying about our sanctification. So I think that's uh, what we need to be doing. And, you know, I think uh, you're absolutely right. Number one, we should look to what Jesus actually says, which I think is important right now, because I'm hearing a lot of stuff about, you know, what we should be doing in politics and what we should be doing in these different areas. And I'm going, I didn't hear any of that from Jesus. Uh, What did he say uh, there for us to do? Uh, Did you have more or was that the end of your sermon? Well, I mean, essentially he was saying, you know, uh, the slaves don't know when the master's going to come back. So, you know, essentially he was saying, don't wait for the last minute to, to, to uh, you know, become holy because I am holy. Basically, God has said this in the scripture, right? Yeah. And that's kind of what Jesus was alluding to is, is be holy because I'm holy. So work cooperate with the Holy Spirit in your sanctification, and don't wait. Do it now. Do it now. All right, Eric, I appreciate that very much. He says, therefore, keep watch, for you don't know what day your Lord will come. What I tell people all the time is, when we have this conversation, it's a fun conversation to try to figure out when Jesus is coming back, but we're not going to know. We're not trying to figure it out, okay? But what does the Scripture actually tell us to do? The thing is, is that you know, for all of us, he's coming back at some point in our life because we're not going to have our life. Either he comes back while we're still alive or in uh, 78.2 years of life, he's going to come back. You're going to meet him. And you don't know if that's going to be tomorrow or uh, if it's going to be 20 years from now when you go meet the Lord. You have no idea. And Jesus does in Matthew give us several different pieces of insight to what the end times are going to look like. Uh, and what we are to do is not be deceived, and being deceived is is an interesting word. Is deceived because you don't know if you're deceived. That's why you're deceived. That's how uh, that's how it works. And 
we should keep watch and we should be aware that this is true. This is going to happen. Keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. And I think part of keeping watch is for sure following Jesus and making sure that you're running toward him in sanctification. Sanctification just means I'm I'm becoming the kind of person that Jesus wants me to be. Okay, and the Holy Spirit is developing me with the fruit of the Spirit. We should be concerned about that. Am I showing more fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, self-control? The fruit of the Spirit is not like the gifts of the Spirit. You might only have one gift or a couple of gifts, uh, and somebody else has different gifts. The fruit of the Spirit, uh, you're supposed to have all of them and grow in them. Some of them you're going to be better at than others. You know, you might be somebody who is... Um, a very patient person, but you struggle a lot with, um, I was going to say self-control. Those two things kind of work together. You might be a very patient person, but you might struggle with, with, uh, joy, you know, or the opposite. Follow the Lord. Jesus actually tells us quite a bit to get on the right page when we're thinking about these things. I got to take a break and then I'll get to your calls. It's open line Friday. You can talk about whatever it is you'd like to talk about today and change the subject uh, with us. But what we are talking about is in light of the idea that Jesus is coming soon, what ought we be doing now? And I'll get to your calls on that when we return. 888-528-2557 is the number. 888-528-2557. This is Southern California Live. I'm Scott Furrow. I'll be back as the Friday edition continues. This is SoCal Live with Scott Furrow on 99.5 KKLA. Join the conversation now by texting Scott in the SoCal Live studio at 213-537-3812. Welcome back, everybody. Southern California Live, Scott Furrow, open line Friday today. Where's our little areas to da? 888-528-2557. We'll talk about whatever it is that's on your mind. So on Fridays, you can call and change the subject. If you have a Bible question or something else that's on your mind related to something in the news or something at all, 888-528-2557 is the number. We have been talking about what should believers be doing now in anticipation that Jesus's return could be imminent. What if it is soon? What if it's in the next couple of years? What if it's happening in our lifetime? Many people think so. What ought we be doing right now? Gail in Lancaster, welcome to Southern California Live. Hi, this is Gail. Diana, thank you so much for the question you posed. So my answer to this is that, you know, we need to be reading our Bibles and getting a hold of what God is really like. I started in the late 70s. When I read, I jot down God's attributes, love and mercy and all of those, but he also gets jealous and angry and furious, and he has emotions that I write down and jot down, and then I thank him for those. Some of those are hard to thank him for, but yet we need to know God a little bit better because, see, I believe that we could, um, the, the focus right now needs to be souls being saved. Jesus said he's not willing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. So we're so entertainment-minded. I mean, people sit and do games and watch TV. And, you know, I did a survey in San Diego of how many churches had an outreach, had an outreach. And so there's a scripture here that I want to share in Psalm 94, 16, that says, Who will rise up for me against the evildoers, or who will stand up for me against the workers of iniquity? I heard the pastor bring that to a congregation. He said, sign your name if you mean it. So I did. So that's opened up a whole lot of scriptures, and it's a blessed thing to 
know the Lord and love the Lord and walk with the Lord. And a lot of people, believe it or not, have not heard. They don't understand the gospel that Jesus died, he is buried, he rose again, and he loves them. It's not a question of does he love us, it's do we love him? Because he said, if you love me, do what I say. And that word, do, is a heavy verse to look at. But, you know, when you look at First John 2, 6, and with this, I'll end, I'm licensed as an evangelist, and my sermon when this man asked me to give it, uh, it was on First John 2, 6. He that saith, he abideth in him, ought himself also so to walk even as he walked. And that's an exciting study to go through the Gospels with, because Jesus noticed people, he had compassion on them. He loved people, and he was telling them to repent and believe the Gospel. And right now, what is a sin anymore? What do we, what do we consider a sin anymore? We don't want to you know, hurt people's feelings, I guess, want to be tolerant. We don't want to say, repent from all of this. So what I'm posing is that we make July 2023 back to the Bible month as a nation, and we post scriptures on every church ground that's legal, and we put the scriptures out there for people to read. All right, Gail, thank you. Thank you for your call on that. You know, one of the things that you said there, Gail, that I think uh, is a huge deal is you you mentioned do people understand why he came in the in the first place and that's that's also a big part of this discussion we're talking about the return of Christ do people understand why he came the first time do people in our churches really get that there's so much conversation about this right now and i think one of the interesting things is is i know in fact i know some people who are super articulate and they just know everything about uh, biblical prophecy, and they know, you know, all the different theories and the pre and the post and the tri- mid and the the millennial theories. All every different point of view they can articulate super well on all these different things. And then if you ask them why Jesus came the first time, it's really hard to get that out. And one of the things that we find whenever we talk about the second coming of Christ is that in the book of Revelation, which is not the only place where we talk about this, right? We've talked about it in Matthew. There's more in the Old Testament about the second coming than the first coming, but the first coming matters. Okay, there's a lot in there about what happens at the end. But when you take a look at the book of Revelation, and the the idea is that John is receiving, it's the revelation of, of Jesus Christ that he's giving to John. This is what's going to happen in the end, okay? The apocalypse is what it is. This is how things wrap up. Um, and it's important that we have this book there. If the Bible just ended at Jude, then we, we sort of wouldn't know what to anticipate. Well, now we have a pretty good idea. But what I find really interesting is that the very first thing that Jesus does before he starts to tell us about the, the last days, the very last days, is he gives John letters to give to the churches, these seven churches. When you study at Revelation you get these churches in chapters uh, two and three. And, you know, these these churches all are dealing with something. There's some that are better than others. The uh, folks in Philadelphia are much better than the rest of them. Uh, not Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, but uh, the original church in a city in Philadelphia in uh, the Middle East there. It is... I think that one of the big messages with this that's so important is that we are to trust God for the end, and we are to know about it. And for the people who are around whenever that happens, they're going to need the Word of God. They're going to need it to and be able to see it and understand it because it's going to read like a newspaper of the daily events, probably. But in the meantime, 
In the very meantime, we as the church need to do what the church is supposed to do and to be worried about people's souls now, to be worried about what it is we're supposed to do. We're supposed to not lose our first love. We're supposed to recapture why it is we became Christians in the first place. Can I ask you this? Whenever you became a Christian, some of you, maybe you grew up in the church and you've just always been going. Have you have you really thought about what it is that you believe, or is it just something that your parents did and you sort of learned it as a kid? Have you grown? I think a lot of you would have a really good testimony of how you've grown, but uh, some of us, you know, uh, we're not too sure. Or what happens a lot of the time is that uh, you you get saved and you have a few years where you are sharing the gospel and you're so passionate about your faith, but then you kind of become, I don't know, institutionalized. And, you know, all of your friends then become people, either they, either they get saved or you stop being friends with them over time, or they stop being friends with you, might be the case. But then pretty soon everybody you know is a believer. And pretty soon everybody you hang out with is a believer. And then how do you have a gospel ministry when you don't even know anybody who aren't believers? And then we wonder sometimes why the church gets so far behind the culture when, in, in a big part of it is, is we don't know enough people who aren't believers. And we we come up with uh, discussions and things that we want to talk about that worked really well in 1978, but they don't work too well in 2022. Completely different world that we live in, completely different. You know, it used to be in, uh, say, the 1940s, people argued about, between believers and non-believers, about whether or not miracles could be true. And, you know, your enlightened crowd would say that uh, the miracles in the Bible couldn't be true, that we're too smart for that now, that we've been enlightened, we understand how the uh, how things work, and so miraculous events in the Bible, they turn me off, I don't think that could be true. Uh, today, there's not as many people who think that. Today, there's a whole lot of people who are completely open to the idea that God might do miracles. And it's really not part of the argument. The bigger part of the argument is to say that there's only one God or only one way, or, you know, that, you know, an argument might be that Jesus didn't mean what he said, or we only take Jesus's word uh, that we can prove. There's a whole study one time that there's only a few things that maybe Jesus said that we can really prove that he said. It's kind of ridiculous. And we make a whole bunch of other arguments about having more than one truth. We're living in a world of applied postmodernism, which means you can believe what you want. And you can believe what you want, and it's true, and I can believe what I want, and even though it contradicts what you think, it's totally true also. And we have to live in that world. And it's not a world that we are should be surprised about. It's a world where if you reject what is what is actually true, then you're going to have to come up with something else. It's Open Line Friday. The number is 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557. I've been asking the question, what ought we be doing as we think about Christ's return? There's so many things that, uh, there's so many ways that that's on people's mind. A concern that I have is how we might think that Jesus is going to come back. What are the things in Scripture that must happen before Jesus does return? Some people think that Christians are supposed to uh, take over the world, and we have to be really careful about that. There are movements in our own country about that. That The idea is that if we just take over all of uh, the government, um, and not just here but around the world, then, then we'll be in a place where Jesus can come. And so the idea is that the future for the church and Christians in America or wherever is um, one of of prosperity and power, 
And the problem is, is that when you, when you read the Bible, there is not really an indication that the end times are a good time for believers, right? I mean, Jesus says it's going to be a troubling time, especially for nursing moms and for people who have uh, all kinds of things going on. It is a, it is a rough time. And I think we need to be careful about that. And where is our passion? You know, we'll talk on our show about uh, politics and why we should be involved and why we ought to vote and all of that is good. But we should not be so convinced that the politics are the solution to anything. Because at the end of the day, Jesus is going to come when he's ready. There's one place where Jesus gives us some idea of maybe something that needs to be accomplished before he comes. And I'll talk about that when we get back from the break here in just a moment. You're listening to Southern California Live. It's Open Line Friday. You can call about anything that's on your mind. And uh, here we go. There's the music for it. 888-528-2557. 888-528-2557. I'm Scott Furrow, your host. And I'll be back for your calls as the Friday edition of Southern California Live continues. Too nervous to go live on the radio with Scott Furrow? Then share your thoughts on the SoCal Live voicemail at 213-537-3812. That's 213-537-3812. Welcome back, everybody. Southern California Live, final segment today, Open Line Friday. And uh, we will take your call on any subject at all, 888-528-2557. You can change the topic if you've got a Bible question, something on your mind. 888-528-2557 is the number. And um, let's go to uh, Maria. Welcome to Southern California Live. Hello. Hi, Maria. How are you? Fine. I have a comment. Yeah. Um, you know how you were saying that men need to step up to the plate? Yeah. I can't agree more in the church and everywhere else. Because I'm dating back to, you know, the 70s or whenever that Anjali commercial came out. And it was, you know, I could bring home the bacon, fry it up in a pan, and never let you <laughs> I remember that men. commercial. I resent that commercial because it's saying women could do everything. And we're 24-7 women. You know what? I worked. I supported my husband and my son, and it was exhausting. And I came home. I wasn't ready to cook and clean. I was exhausted. I fell home. I mean, went home, and I fell asleep. What the heck? And now I have my son. He doesn't talk to me anymore. He's angry with me. Mm. My husband died a few years ago, but he's angry with me because he said, you weren't there for me, Mom. Well, how could be? Nobody. God wasn't even 24-7. God took a day off rest. What is with this attitude? I think all women should get off the altar. All this altar girls, get them off. Get them off the altar. (laughs) Hey, let's let the men. Let the men get up there. I have a lot of anger to me because it's not fair. We need to stop and say we're not 24-7 people. We need to take a rest and let them do the job. Yeah, Maria. They're the head of the home with a heart. Yeah. Maria, you've had a lot going on uh, in your life. How old's your son? Oh, he's 23. He's 23. And uh, is there a way we can pray for him? Is he with the Lord? No. Okay. Uh, You know, can I pray for him real quick? I'm just thinking about that as you were saying that, and uh, you said your husband passed away. How long ago was that? About four years ago. Oh, okay. And what did you do when you were working, or what do you do now if you're still working? I'm retired. And you're retired I'm now. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I'm done. All right. Well, I just want to—I didn't want to let that go, and then I'll talk about your your comment here in a minute. Um, 
God, I just thank you for Maria and, uh, you know, her life. I pray for her son right now. I pray for that relationship that, you know, at his age, that's when people start to think and, and even come back and realize how things really are. I pray that you'd make that clear to him and that you would restore everything with her, with him and uh, his mom. And uh, in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Maria, thank you for your call. And, uh, you know, it is... Um, we put a lot of pressure, I think, on ourselves because society puts pressure and then the church adopts that. That, I think, is one of the things that is there, – there's a lot of different issues with that. Uh, sometimes the church puts pressure on you to always be at church, right, to be at church for so many different events, plus your full-time job, plus you're raising your kids, plus you have to deal with other family things going on. And, you know, church life is all of life. Everything that we're doing is is part of the church. There's too much pressure sometimes on pastors. Um, where there's a couple of reasons why why men drop out. Sometimes it's because we uh, we have to have an uber pastor whose job it is to do everything. And you see that a lot in the smaller churches where the pastor is everything. Uh, he's the preacher. He is the teacher. He is the lawyer. He's the accountant. He is the janitor. He is the counselor. He is the visitation person. All of those different things. Um, and then when we have that expectation of our pastors, then nobody else does it. And it's an odd thing to be in a church where everybody's gifted, and really the job of the leader should be to uh, empower people to use their gifts. Um, and that's a big part of it. And, you know, the, the issue for, for men, there's a, there's a lot of them. But men, you know, we, we are, when, we are, when we are given an out, when we are said, no, I don't, we don't expect you to do it, We'll let the ladies do it. You know what men say? They say, great, and uh, we'll go do something else. We'll go do something fun. We will check out. That's the, that's the sin of men is that we will give up whatever responsibility we're supposed to have uh, if we are told we don't have to do it. And the sin, I think, for a lot of us guys is that we'll go ahead and do that. And we'll step out. We'll step out of the church. We'll step out of our marriages. We'll step out of our parenting. And uh, and then just as you were hearing Maria and the exasperation that she has over these things, you have women who are then carrying the ball on every single thing from the the home to the job. Like she said, that old commercial, bringing home the bacon. I can do it all was kind of the, the message. And you can't. Um, in fact, one of the, the things that is wrong with how we have destroyed kind of what marriage is in a whole lot of different ways is that it's meant to be a, a man and a woman who help each other, who each take a part, who have roles to play. We know from the studies that it, it matters to kids to have their parents present, that we've been talking about when we talk about these shootings and other things that have gone on, that the fatherlessness is usually a big piece of it that these kids need dads, but they also need moms, you know, so a lot of the subject and it's important is that, you know, kids need their, their fathers, but they also need their moms to be moms. Moms are different than dads. You know, they're just, it's just completely different. It's a whole, it's a whole different thing. And everybody's not the same, but we're, we're very similar uh, in how that works. It matters a lot. 888-528-2557 is the number. You're listening to Southern California Live. We were talking about what we need to do to be prepared for the coming of Christ, and I don't want to miss this this point here. Something that Jesus did say that is super interesting, although we might not know for sure every piece of it, 
But when he's talking in Matthew 24 about the end times, he says this, and this gospel, this is Matthew 24, 14, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. And there's this idea here that whenever the gospel is preached to all nations in the whole world, then the end will come. There is a story that's in the news today that Christians in Zambia, Africa are celebrating what is the latest milestone in Bible translation, that Bibles are now written in the native tongues in the country of Zambia. Uh, According to CBN News, Wycliffe Associates have accomplished this, and there are people translating the Bible into every language on earth, and what's happening is it's happening very, very quickly right now. It's happening so fast, and some people are suggesting that the Bible will be translated into every known language by 2035-ish, around then. That's soon. And many people would say that that needs to be accomplished, or at least the gospel would need to be preached in all of those languages before the end would come. The, the command from Jesus is to make disciples of all nations, uh, not most nations, but all nations. And this is what we should be focused on. And it's an interesting thing when we think about the progress of technology and digital currency and what that can mean for different things. What's the world going to look like in 2035? You want to think ahead that far? Uh, it's going to be wild. Technologically speaking, things are going to be um, maybe really amazing. But at the same time, we seem to be hurting in a whole lot of new ways, even as technology increases. We have economic struggles. We have food struggles. We have a lot going on. Um, It's not hard to imagine that this is it. And I'm not saying that it is. It could be a thousand years from now. I don't know. But we're getting closer to the to the point where the gospel will be preached in all nations. It's a it is miraculous, by the way, that that's happening. It is something that you wouldn't expect to happen from any sort of look at history and how things work. You normally would expect actually that Christianity would be limited to a certain number of cultures um, and just stay there. That's the way every other faith is. You can find you know you'll find people in our country of all different faiths, although it's really different. You know, Buddhists in our in our country, for the most part, are not the same as you would find them in Asia. And uh, lots of Muslims in our country are very different than the Muslims you would find in the Middle East. There are so, you know, as far as what people believe and how people practice their faith, you know, there's a lot of nuance to it. But Christianity, you'll find Christianity different in certain ways, but not the gospel, not the way it is presented. It can be translated and understood in every language, and it's happening, and it can be received. And people can become Christians in most cases without changing much of their their culture, unless there's some cultural practice that's you know very opposed to Christ. But that's not very often, you know, other than rejecting whatever other gods are there and things like that. But but day to day life, the gospel fits right in and encourages people to love one another. And in spite of the fact that the church makes a lot of mistakes, in spite of the fact that there's problems in history, in spite of the fact that we're struggling now. The gospel of Jesus Christ has still spread throughout the whole world in just 2,000 years, and it's been exponentially growing just in the last few years to the point of some of the, the tiniest languages and tiniest people groups are now being reached. And when Jesus says, uh, after everybody's reached, then the end will come, it doesn't say that it means immediately that moment. 
but it is something that is going to be accomplished in our lifetime. That's incredible. And so what should we do now? We should remember our first love. We should remember that what we are here to do is follow Jesus and make disciples. Uh, are you making disciples? And by that, I think that gets really complicated, right? Let me, let me put it this way. When you think of the people who are in your life, your family, your coworkers, classmates, whoever that you interact with, do you pray for them every day? You know, if you're, if you're not doing that, just start there. You know, this weekend, think of the people, write, them, write their names down on a piece of paper. Who are the people that you interact with on a regular basis? Not, I'm not talking about people that you would like to pray for necessarily, because maybe you don't get along very well with somebody who you work with, or maybe they don't like you very much. Uh, so what? You're in their life. Pray for them and ask God to use you in their life. That's the beginning of disciple-making. And get into the Word of God and draw closer to the Lord, and don't be distracted by so many other arguments that can be out there that can take a lot of our time but take our eye off the ball. Pray for the people that God has placed in your life. And guys, you know, we've talked about guys today, you know, step up somehow. Um, Not just to even some of these servant roles at your church. Those are great. We need you. Um, But you know what? I bet you can teach. I'll bet that you can uh, serve and visit people and pray for people and do a whole lot of stuff that seems to be left to, you know, the, the staff or to people who are doing it because they're faithful servants, but they would rather be called to do something else. Is there a place where you're actually serving people? Do it. You'll be blessed. Your whole church will be blessed. Your family will be blessed. You'll find that to be an amazing thing to do to follow Jesus. There's a lot we can say, but we're out of time for today. Thank you, everybody, for your calls and for listening to Southern California Live. You can always get a podcast of our program by going to the radio website and looking for Southern California Live. You can use keyword SoCal Live, and it'll come up. And we will see you on Monday. I hope you have a fantastic weekend. God bless you. We'll see you then. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.